I was also at an inflection point around, you know, what do I want to do with the rest of my career? I found that I did want to do more purpose-driven work. Mm-hmm. And it felt as though I was ready to step into a role that was more centered around growing our representation, being purposeful about it, but also making sure that we move beyond just the gender and the race and what we see, making Mm -hmm. sure that our identities can be represented across a multitude of intersectionalities. That was important to me. The big question, how quickly can brands and businesses change? and modernize in response to the changing demographics globally. The future of work, demand for modernizing the practice of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and industry corrections. This is why we started the Change Podcast by Reframe, to help people leaders like you get answers that accelerate inclusive change and growth that reflects where the world is going. Get ready as we host a discussion with people leaders faced with the same challenges and modernize their approach to solving a decades old problem. I'm your host, Jeffrey L. Bowman. Why do brands and businesses struggle with inclusive change and growth at scale? This is the theme of our pilot season. For our first episode, we interview Leah Taylor. She went from a subject matter expert to a change agent. Why? Sometimes our pain becomes our passion. This was the case with Leah Taylor at Razorfish, a large advertising and communications agency and a part of Pubis' group. Get ready as we host a discussion with people leaders faced with the same challenges, modernize their approach to solving a decades-old problem. I'm your host, Jeffrey L. Bowman. Now let's get started. Leah, thank you for joining us to the Reframe podcast. We're excited to have you. You know, I know you because you're a client, have been a client, but, you know, given where we are with the podcast, our intent is really to profile change agents within the organization. And so... Can you just share the audience a little bit about company that you work with, the name, the journey you've been on personally in terms of education? And then when did you fall in love with advertising? Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. My name is Leah Taylor. I'm the head of diversity, equity, inclusion for Razorfish. Razorfish is a marketing transformation brand. We are transforming brands digitally. We are at the forefront of emerging technologies and how helping brands connect with their consumers. And, you know, I think when it comes to Razorfish, we launched ourselves in 2020. So if you think about 2020, it was a time of, you know, just tremendous change in our society in terms of being in a pandemic and also social, societal change and unrest. And during that time, it was probably a time for me where I started to use my voice a little bit more around what does the talent experience want? What should it be in terms of inclusion, in terms of equitable experiences? And Razorfish and its leaders understood the moment and understood, I could say, the assignment 
and that we needed to be change agents in this work. No, that's, that's amazing. And so, you know, obviously a difficult time for a number of organizations. I want to take a step back a little bit prior to 2020. When you look at your background, can you just kind of share with the audience a little bit in terms of where you're from, university, as well as where did you get your mental toughness from? So just share a little bit about it yourself personally, mm-hmm. so the audience can understand who Razorfish has. Absolutely. I was born and raised in Riverside, California. So Riverside is in the Inland Empire. It's about an hour and a half east of Los Angeles. So I spent my childhood in both Riverside and Los Angeles and what we know as the high desert as well. Then I moved to New York. Wow, <laughs> I graduated is it right at, at, before college, <laughs> after college? That was during college. You know, oh, wow. I worked to put myself through college. Um, it was a long journey of many schools, many junior colleges. Shout out to the community college system in California. But I ended up getting my degree and finishing at Fordham University. So I am a proud Ram up in the Bronx. Oh, wow. Okay. And so pseudo New Yorker. To New Yorker, I spent 10 years in New York. So I think along with my upbringing, not saying that it was tough. I mean, it was the yeah. suburbs, you know, right. we walked to school every day. It's like everybody, my mom always knew where I was. It wasn't like it was safe. I think where I get my mental fortitude and toughness is, you know, becoming an adult. I say I became an adult in New York. The iron streets or the iron horse in terms of yes. the subway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. On the subway, on the any extracurricular activities, like contextually, like what led you to advertising? Um, It's funny because I remember my first job, it was on Park Avenue and I believe, yes, on Park Avenue, exiting right out of Grand Central. And I was in finance and we shared the building with J. Walter Thompson. And I used to see them in the elevator all the time, getting off, talking about these campaigns. But I always wanted to be in a creative space and I loved advertising, but I was always on the client side doing marketing or doing social media or whatnot. So I always had an affinity. I was adjacent. I was like, oh, okay. I work in a marketing role, but I don't work at the agency. They seem so cool. They seem so smart and creative. So I think that's where being adjacent to it and seeing, you know, I've worked in different industries from sports to healthcare to technology. So it's always been a love affair, I think, with advertising. And so where did you get your big break? Because oftentimes when one hears about marketing, advertising, communications, sometimes it's a difficult entry point. Right. Where did you get your break? That's interesting. Um, I got started in finance and I took a break into the sports industry, which I love. I'm a lover of sports. And then I went back to finance and that's where I got my break, where I got to own all the marketing and communications for a financial firm. And it was my boss at that point in time. She was the head of investor relations. So we worked in tandem together. And I believe she gave me my first break to not only I was finishing my degree as well at the same time, which she pushed me and was a supporter of. So I was finishing my degree, applying what I learned at Fordham into the work that I was doing. So that was my first break I'd look at it as in my career. And was it an agency that you'd been managing? Like how you signed GWT? Like what what was your first agency you went to work for? Ironically, it was Razorfish. I mean, yeah, Razorfish. I stayed client side. I've been with Razorfish for now going on eight years in December. So 
this was my first agency experience. And through changes and the advertising industry, I just became in love with it even more. So I think when I walked in and I shared this with a lot of our interns and a younger, earlier career, when you can walk into a space and you see yourself and you see the love of the work, mm-hmm. I mean, what more could you ask for? Mm-hmm. No, I think it'd be helpful because sometimes the rub you get within the marketing communications is that it can be a cottage industry. Only certain people know about certain opportunities. How did you find out about the opportunity? And it may be helpful for a listener who wants to get into the advertising communications business. Wild, it was a recruiter. A recruiter reached out to me. There was a role that was needed. And at that time, I was working in CRM, audience strategy. Customer relationship marketing. Yes, customer relationship marketing. And also was getting my chops in social media as well. So I think it was just a blend of what my experience was. And I connected with a recruiter who was, you know, working with various advertising agencies at that point. And I kept that connection. And this role came about with Razorfish at that time. And it was awesome. I was like, okay, sure. I'll go and do it. This was 2015. 2015. 2015. Fantastic. Yeah. And so when you work client side and you kind of went to inverse and went to the agency side, yes. right? And I like to call it, you, know, you wrote checks and now you got to learn. <laughs> <how> to <laughs> check, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so when you think about the state of the industry, mm-hmm. where was the industry when you entered versus where do you think the industry is today? Oh, wow. I mean, Technology was definitely at the forefront. How are we getting to automation was the solve that we were in when it came to CRM. How do we optimize that customer relationship and those touch points when it came to email at that time? I think that's where my focus was for the particular clients that I was servicing. But we were starting to go beyond that. And I think Razorfish has always been at the forefront of emerging technologies and seeing, okay, this is how we're going to solve clients' problems in the next five to seven years. Okay, we need to get in front of it. So now when I look at it now, we're talking about AI. And, you know, we've jumped in into that box with a lot of thought leadership, a lot of our leaders understanding that one, I think one of our leaders, Christina Lawrence, just said today, you know, AI is a tool, not a strategy. So we're helping clients understand that, you know, you can use this as a tool, but we want you to use it in a positive and a responsible way. Right. So we're consistently educating our clients on the emergent technology and being at that forefront of it. So essentially you went client side right out of mm-hmm. undergrad, made the transition to agency side as a subject mm-hmm. matter expert, right? Right. Fair to say. And so when you think about where you're at today, did you ever think? you would end up in the world that you're in? And then what made you make the pivot? It was interesting because I loved doing the work I was doing. I had evolved. I had moved away from CRM and moved into social media strategy and content strategy. And I loved the clients that I was working with. But I was also at an inflection point around, you know, what do I want to do with the rest of my career? And this is also during a time where I coached volleyball collegiately. So I was at a point there. Did you play? I did play. I played collegiately for one year and then I continued to play in adult leagues and with friends for many years in New York and here in California. 
but I coached at Caltech for about seven seasons. And I was like, okay, where are we taking this? Where am I going? Am I going to become a head coach at a D3 program? Do I want to make that pivot? I thought for so long that was going to be my next point where I was going to actually become a coach. And then this marketing, whatever I was doing was going to be the side hustle. (laughs) But, you know, after some... Yeah, it's balance. It's balance. And after doing some more soul searching and really just, you know, I was working with a career coach at that time, I found that I did want to do more purpose-driven work. Mm -hmm. And it felt as though I was ready to step into a role that was more centered around growing our representation, being purposeful about it, but also making sure that we move beyond just the gender and the race and what we see, making Mm -hmm. sure that our identities can be represented across a multitude of intersectionalities. That was important to me. So it started from me just continuously raising my hand from helping to lead a local BRG to establishing relationships with our leadership. So that's kind of how it kind of jumped headfirst into this role. Sometimes our purpose can be our pain. Yes. And think about your purpose. Was there anything that in your course of your professional career or college that led you to seek the purpose of trying to change something? Yes. And I think I lean into my coaching career, collegiate coaching career, because I came into Caltech and they had never won a conference match ever. Oh, wow. And So you like the underdog. I do love an underdog, but I'm also competitive. So I'm just like, you can only be an underdog for so long. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew what it took. It was going to take mental fortitude, patience, and also being intentional about the athletes that we were recruiting to our program. We were going to change the program itself and what the expectations were. It took a while. I mean, we needed to get a really good recruiting class really great talent that not only are they talented, obviously, in STEM, but they're talented on the court. And slowly but surely, we started to change. And when I exited that role and left, Mm -hmm. it was at the top. You know, we had one, we were no longer at the bottom of the conference. We had won more than one game. We had won multiple matches. So I think that is where I kind of honed in on I want to be a change maker. This is important to me. Nice. No, that's a great story. And so when you hear the word change as it relates to the workplace, what does that mean to you? It means that we're constantly evolving and we are not just, oh, status quo. It's more about we're trying to become better than we were yesterday. And as a coach, we always strive for excellence. So if that's our North Star is excellent, that means it requires us to change our behavior, change our mindset. And those are two of the most challenging things to change because our behaviors are ingrained in us. And as you get older, you're like, I don't want to change. I want to be stubborn. I don't want to do all that. But if we're going to build an inclusive workplace, then it requires change. So I think it's one of the things that I sit and talk to with my teams about what are we trying to change? We're trying to change systems and we're trying to change people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you entered Razorfish, 
how did you make the change from like a subject matter expert to assume you did you go directly into DEI or did you go into an HR role? Like, what was that transition like? I jumped right into DEI. I mean, I put my strategy hat on. I knew a lot of this was strategic. I honed my skills in marketing strategy. I felt like I could apply into the DNI space. But understanding that this is a long journey. This isn't, hey, we just launched this great campaign and these are the results. Let's move on to the next. That's not what it is. It's we're changing the hearts and minds of people and also disrupting those systems. And that takes time. And so when you came into Razorfish, earned the opportunity, what were those immediate challenges that you knew? And then what were some of the actions that you put in place to overcome those challenges? I think some of the bigger challenges were around cultural intelligence. Mm -hmm getting our leaders comfortable with talking about difficult topics, especially when it came to race and also around gender and just all around all the layers of diversity, whether it's age, it's ability, it's LGBTQIA, how you identify. So it was important to start opening up those conversations. And what I first did is understood that I don't have all of the answers so I leaned into the experts, you know, our, our CDO, Geraldine White. I also leaned into vendors and contractors who were in this business and did it and know what it takes to do this work. So I think we first started with an appreciative inquiry process to understand where are those gaps and opportunities within Razorfish. Mm -hmm. And coming from that appreciative inquiry process, what were some of the goals that we wanted to set for ourselves in terms of DEI? And this wasn't around representation. This was around the talent experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was important. I think it was important for me to understand that I had people that I could lean into and they were the subject matter experts and I could bring them into our organization and trust them to tell us like it is. Right. Right. And it sounds like as you were getting your feet planted, COVID happened, George Floyd happened. Can you share a little bit of in terms of like, given what you were already starting to do, how did that experience impact some of the initiatives that you were putting in place or starting to put in place? Right. You know, I think being a part of Publicis Group, we have the ability to tap individuals who are in this space across a multitude of agencies. Yeah. And I think that was important as well. You know, we had leaders who were launching brave spaces and putting more scalability around those and structure around how we wanted to have those conversations. And also understanding that we wanted to move with intentionality with COVID and with George Floyd. How do we have these discussions? Especially because it felt like from 2020 on and continuing into 2023, there's an incident that happens, whether it's acts of hate against our Asian community or our Jewish community. There was something happening every single week or every month where we had to respond and understand what our talent was going through on a daily basis. And then you layer that in with the COVID and the pandemic and people becoming caregivers for family members or moving away from the office and how that impacted individuals. 
it became a very cumbersome effort to understand that we have layers to the people that we have in our talent pool and we have to serve them best we can. And we have to put in places where we can listen to them and give them yeah. opportunity to share what their talent experience is. Yeah. And as you navigate it through that, like every company, every agency, were there lessons learned that led you to where you are today? Yes, I think some of the greatest lessons that we've learned is we're going to make mistakes. We are not cancel culture here at Razorfish. We are going to take accountability and taking accountability when you make a misstep, even though it's not intentional, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we're continuously learning and we're continuously, like I said before, with, with change, we have to change our behaviors and we're going to misstep. And in some cases, it's been hard. It's definitely a hard lesson learned. I've made mistakes. You know, people on my team and across our organization have made mistakes, but it's the willingness to learn from it and to be better from it, I think, is what has really been amazing to see from Razorfish. Awesome. Awesome. And so given the amount of change that, you know, the world was going through, what's been the journey of Razorfish? Meaning you came in, sat at your desk or your home, Mm -hmm. where you are today versus where you were when you started. Can you just share a little bit about what the journey has been for you and Razorfish? I mean, the journey started out with just me, one person. (laughs) And I'm sure, you know, you've heard and you know people (laughs) who are just a team of one. Right. And that first year was like, jumping over here to put out this fire, jumping over here to make sure this is taken care of. And granted, we did have an advisory board that I could lean into in a committee, but I think I went to our CEO, Josh Campo, and said, okay, look. (laughs) Yeah. Were you the first? I was the first, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. I was the first lead of D&I, and I just came to him and said, hey, we've got to have a team. Yeah. Like, we have to have resources. We need a team, and we need a budget. Yeah. Yeah. And I assume that conversation went great. It's just, it went fantastic. Here, take it all. What do you mean? <laughs> take it all. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was absolutely. I agree with you. And, you know, I hear about the challenges from colleagues outside of group who are in these roles about yeah. getting the resources and the budget and the people to do this work. And yeah. it's disheartening. And I understand that I'm working from a place of privilege. And I take that right. very seriously. And I've been able to build a team. Yeah. So and you built I, a team. Yes, and, built a team. And can you describe the roles? Absolutely. So one of the great roles is I have Marvin Woodard on my team, who is our lead for community engagement. So he is charged with how we interact with organizations and build community with organizations that serve underrepresented and marginalized communities, and also building community in our office locations, because we're not just in one office, we're across the U.S. So we have people who care about volunteering with organizations. How do we connect that with Razorfish? And then I have a manager, Brandon Garrett, and he's charged with leading workshops, building workshops for our clients, whether it's around, you know, inclusive casting, using inclusive language, and also building more inclusive teams across Razorfish. And he's also, you know, he's like my second person. So (laughs) he gets a lot of workload, but he's also leading two of our committees that we just launched around talent journey and culture committee. 
And then I also have another person, Jen Enziago, who is our partnerships and programming. So any programming that we do around learning series or cultural observances, and then any organizations that we want to partner with, she is our go-to person for that. Got it. Got it. And so what helped you inform, like, oftentimes you look at an organization and you'll have the VP or chief diversity officer. There's usually a playbook associated with the structure. And mm-hmm. usually, you know, obviously there's some things identified within the organization as, as to what informs that structure. So what mm-hmm. informed in terms of how you set your team? You know, I really leaned in heavily around my work with clients, like being on a client team. You know, you have a project manager, yeah. you have a strategist, you have the creative lead, you have your data insights person. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of how I want to set this up. It wasn't like mirrored exactly like that, but that's where I took my playbook from as to, okay, what exactly is each person serving? What's their track lane and what are they solving for? Because what I didn't want to happen is, oh, well, you don't know what this person is doing or we don't know. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. I wanted each of the people on my team to have a specific path in their career journey. So that was important to me as well. Gotcha. And from a leadership standpoint, how are you able to build alignment in terms of what you wanted your journey to be? And what is your North Star? Mm -hmm. You know, When I think about my North Star, it's always going to be, can everyone, and however they identify, can they show up as their true selves and how they want to show up? Can we build structures and environments where we support each individual such that they are able to thrive and build a career here and have opportunities for growth and also being able to amplify our talent? I understand that in our industry, we do have challenges around representation. And I want Razorfish to be that leader in understanding that, hey, we're not just checking boxes. We are actually being the choice of potential talent to come and work for us and grow with us as a company and to grow their careers. And my North Star is mostly around, you know, making sure it's equitable making sure that people's experiences are just great. I mean, is that the bare minimum that we're looking for? In some cases, yes, because you hear stories and you read stories about people's experiences in other industries that are horrible for, you know, marginalized populations. And that's not what I want. I want people to come here and be like, yes, I work hard. I get rewarded. I'm recognized. I have the same opportunities as John, who's sitting across from me. And it's perfect. Great. And so when you showed up versus where you are today, when you talk about impact, it sounds like you had resources, you're able to build a team and that takes time. Where would you say you're at on your change journey within Razorfish? I would say we are unlocking. I think the work that we did with you coming in and giving us the cultural maturity assessment and understanding where we are as an organization And it being loud and clear to everyone on our leadership team that we have work to do, I think that unlocked the potential for us. And we are stepping through that door and we're kind of like banging it down like, hey, this is what we want to do. It's like, this is not fun and games anymore. Like we, this is what we're aligned to. 
We have our impact ambition. This is what we're aligned to. We are going forward with this. Right. And like so many others, when you are going through change, it happens in phases, right? Meaning the idea of unlocking self-actualization, right? Mm -hmm. For people who may not be at that stage, what were some of the breakthroughs that you had to go through or experience from your leadership team and then from your middle management? Because oftentimes there's a gap between the two. So I think the breakthroughs happened. We brought in Dr. Leonard Moore for Cultural Intelligence Bootcamp for our leadership team. And as you can imagine, there were moments of difficult conversations to be had, but I think the unlock moment is when we're able to have those difficult conversations and move forward and understand our roles as leaders in this change process that we're going through. Mm -hmm. And there were so many moments within going through these monthly boot camps that we were doing with him. And I can't really pinpoint a moment, but there was always an aha moment around, ah, so maybe if we think about it like this, because we've had conversations about identity and race and generations, you know, we have how many generations at work now? Four, I think it is, four at work. And it's challenging for our Gen Z and some of our millennials and some of our Gen Xers to come together. They're knocking heads. (laughs) And we've had some candid conversations around, you know, they're challenging us to rethink the workplace and the work environment. And that's a part of change. And what we did is, with these boot camps is that we took it down to the next level and we introduced Dr. Moore to our VP plus. Yeah. And, you know, we're having candid conversations around, you know, culture. What do we want our culture to be? How do we really develop a culture when we're in a hybrid work environment? We can't leave our remote talent out. They have to be a part of it as well. We have to be inclusive to people's demanding schedules at home life and all these things that take place when you're being when you're working in this industry, because this industry is not nine to five. Yeah. This industry, you know, some days you're going to work 10 hour days, 12 hour days, just because that's just how it goes. But then there are going to be days where it's not as demanding. So we've got to make sure we're taking care of our talent as much as possible. And when you look at where you started, where you're at, what is the next phase of that journey looks like in your view? The next phase With Razorfish, I think it's about implementation. Yeah, We're in that implementation phase. Like we've unlocked the door. We know what we have to do. We've identified the systems and the behaviors that need to be improved. Yeah. Now it's how do we implement that change? So given it's been 60 years plus, right? Yes. What happens to the people that say, I don't want to do it? Have you guys (laughs) thought about that? Because as you think about the multiple generations, Change mm-hmm. is hard. People are resistant to it. Mm-hmm. How have you guys thought through that? Or if you've thought through that, given that you guys are just entering the, the breakthrough, the unlocking? I think we have to focus on the people that want to come on this ride with us. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say you're going to have detractors in every single situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been on client teams where there's that one detractor who's like, I don't want, I don't believe in this strategy. I don't, and you're mm-hmm. like, we've got to make a decision. We've got to move forward. And 
we're going to move forward as Razorfish. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to change. And it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that for the detractors, we can't necessarily focus on them Mm -hmm. per se. We have to give them the best inclusive work experience as possible. That's our job as employers, but we still have to continue on our journey. Yeah. And as you think about the recent announcements, judicial standpoint, uh, Mm -hmm. impacting schools, think about the practice of DNI and the practice of change management. Where are those similarities and where are those differences? You know, I think. And you've probably seen this, you know, every journalist coming out with an article talking about is DEI over in the corporate world, what this means for DEI for us practitioners. And it's like DEI was before 2020, like you said, 60 years, like we've made some change. We have a long way to go. It's not going anywhere. Right. Right. That's just the truth of the matter. If it is going out the door, then that means you and I, where are we going to be? Right, And we see the change that needs to happen. We see it for ourselves. We're embedded in this work and we know there's more work to be done. I think, you know, with the Supreme Court and its ruling, it doesn't change anything. I think for us practitioners, it makes us work that much harder. And as you reflect, which I'm sure we often do, especially given the type of work we do, And this is more of an opportunity for you to share with the industry. Anything that you would have done differently in your journey? I don't think so. I mean, early on in my career, you know, I used to say, I wish I got my degree earlier. It would have meant so much. And now I look back and I'm like, I was on the journey I was supposed to be on. My journey is definitely different than a lot of people that I work with. You know, a lot of people went to college right out of high school, got their degree in four or five years and then started their career. You know, I went on a different journey. I put myself through school, kind of figure it out what I wanted to do to make sure I just wasn't getting a degree just for the sake of it. Right. You know, there are moments within my career where I've maybe made some mistakes along the way, but I think it was a learning opportunity for me. So I think my journey is unique in its own way. And I think in a lot of ways, especially when we're talking to interns and early careerists, you know, I tell them, I was like, your journey is your own. It's not going to be same as Jane sitting across from you or Jim sitting down. the. It's your own and it's what you make it. And I think I've been grateful for every role I've been in. And when you look at the next phase of your journey, how do you make Razorfish the model? Even though, love what you said about your journey is your journey, a number of agencies have tried to change. Mm -hmm. What guidance would you give to them given where you started? That'll be my last question. This question, it's tough because I think of our industry, we have so far to go. And I think for Razorfish, for us, it's, and I said this, I think a couple of weeks ago, to a client, like we're 10 toes down in this. Mm -hmm. This isn't, we're like half foot in, half foot out. Like we are 10 toes down in this. And we didn't just put a black box up on whatever day that was in 2020. We didn't even do that. You know, we understand that D and I, we must be radically inclusive. And what that means, what that translates to is amazing work for our clients, 
Mm-hmm. And we want our clients to experience that. So I think for the industry, they have to have a similar mindset mm-hmm. around radical inclusion that leads to innovation and amazing work product. No, that's awesome. You actually made me, I know I said the last, this is definitely the last <laughs> question. I love the 10 toes down. Love your journey. Like your journey in terms of your story is antithesis of what change is, right? Agility. Mm-hmm. The ability to react, respond. Um, when you talk about impact and what you just said as it relates to the industry and to your clients, what's at stake and how do you measure impact? You know, I've been having this conversation with various leaders around how do we measure inclusion, which is the impact that we want to see. And It's not a short term, just period in time. It's such a qualitative exercise, you know, to understand. And I think that's why this talent journey committee that we just launched is so important because from the onboarding experience to how you exit, we have to examine those touch points that you have, whether it's the review period, whether it's compensation, raise, merit increase, all of those points have to be examined. And we have to put in place, how do we really authentically measure people's experience at an organization? I think that's important. And that will lead us to the impact that we see. Do we have people who are staying over, you know, three to five years? I don't know if that's something that we see in this (laughs) agency world because people hop everywhere. You know, you know how it is, especially early on in your career. When we look at the early mid and senior level career journey, what was their career growth during that time period? Right. Did we give them an opportunity to amplify their career, to grow their skill set, to become a leader? Like, right. I think that's important. Are we building leaders, the future leaders of this industry? And that's going to be a tough measurement because then I think if you start to say, oh, you got your chops at Razorfish and now you're working at another agency, people, right. that's street cred. Right. I think that's what we want. We want the street cred that you came here to grow your career and people trust that. Brand reputation. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, Leah, that, that example in itself is, you know, when you think about the industry and you think about the four generations, one could argue that every step of that employee life cycle journey wasn't really built constructive for them. So the fact that you guys are going back, re-examining, making those changes in terms of modernizing that experience, it's a lot to be said. And really thank you for sharing your personal story, because I think oftentimes when you have these conversations, you can share your story. It oftentimes leads to how you got into what you do and why you're passionate about impact and change as a whole. And we want to thank you for your time and commitment to what you do. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. I really appreciate your partnership on this journey. You've been an important part of the work that we continue to do. There's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't, hey, remember that reframe? Pull back that out, that strategy, because um, that's a North Star. Remember that? Remember we said this? (laughs) No, we enjoy working with you. And once you join the reframe family, you stay a part of the reframe family. Absolutely. Thank you people leaders out there listening or watching. Thank you again for investing your time with me today. So I hope this episode was valuable to you. And if you are a new people leader listening or watching, thank you for tuning in for the first time. And don't forget, you can find all of the resources, links, and show notes 
at getreframe.com forward slash podcasts.